You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. But Nehemiah is a great book that we're going to get into, and we're going to do Nehemiah, uh, the first part of Nehemiah this week, we're going to do middle of Nehemiah next week, and just kind of put those pieces together. Remember that Nehemiah and Ezra hang out together, they're kind of contemporaries in Jerusalem, but they come back at different times. So we're going to be in Nehemiah 1.1 through 2.8, which is kind of the intro that gets us into the burden of the rest of the book of Nehemiah. It goes like this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses." Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are uh, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That would be the king he's talking about. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams 
for the gates, the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. Which, if you remember, Rock, last week, talked, you mentioned that verse several times, that saying several times, that God's hand was on him, which is why the work could even be done. Now, that's a lot. And um, one of the things I think we can do in church life is over-assume people's Bible knowledge. That's not a slight, but we always just go, oh yeah, you know the verse where. Sometimes you ever sit with people and like, you know that verse? I'm like, uh, no, no. There's one guy I meet with from time, very occasionally, but he's notorious for telling me, well, you know, and you know what Paul says right after he says that? I'm like, uh, I don't, I, why don't you tell me? Just remind me. I think I remember, but just you tell me and I'll tell you if you're right. And so there are lots of things going on here. So I just, you know, remember what we've done is that in like the 1400s BC, <clears throat> the exodus happens. We're now in the 400s BC, okay? So we've gone 1,000 years. And Nehemiah's going back to like you told Moses, right? So he's going back 1,000 years to talk about the things that God had said were going to happen. So over that amount of time, remember that the, they came out of the land and they, uh, they came out of Egypt and they went into the land and then they lived in the land. They had a kingdom that was set up after the time of the judges. The judges showed up. Life wasn't that good. Sometimes it was, but usually not. Then we had the monarchy for Saul, David, and Solomon. And then we had a united king or divided kingdom, right? So it was, it was united for three kings. We three kings, not really, uh, but for three kings. Then it split, and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken into captivity in around 722 BC. The southern kingdom, which was two, Judah and Benjamin, it continued until about 586, and then it went to Babylon. Now we have uh, some of those prophets come during that time of the exile, <clears throat> because remember, <clears throat> there have been all these promises that were given to Israel, and now it seems like none of them are being fulfilled. Not a one. Because they've disobeyed, they're out of the land, they're, they're being mocked by the nations because like, where's your God? How come you're not even in the land? If you remember our Ezekiel sermons, all of that has been going on. <clears throat> now God is fulfilling his promises to bring them back. And so they're starting to come back into the land. And there are in Ezra, two returns under Zerubbabel and then under Ezra. And then there's this third return into the land from Nehemiah. Now we talked a couple of weeks ago about how when you go set up shop in a new town, be it by exile or by moving, uh, or displacement, you likely start to have roots, and so coming back is difficult. <clears throat> and you're starting to live in that world, you know it, that's your people, that's your place. So we have people like Zerubbabel, like Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, who have, are following after the Lord, and God is putting it on their heart to get back, and they're leading others with them, okay? So going back to the land, but the land is not like it was before, they're still looking at all these promises going, I don't even really know when this is going to happen. I don't know, you know, God, you've said all these great things are going to happen, but they haven't seemed to happen yet. And even the temple that we have is not like it used to be. The temple's been destroyed. If you look at pictures of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem now, which is gigantic, that wasn't the Temple Mount that they built, <clears throat> that you know, Ezra or Nehemiah were part of building. That was what Herod built. Uh, so you're looking at Herod's Temple Mount, which he made 
<clears throat> monstrous and gigantic, uh, in part to uh, gain favor, because when people do nice things for you, you generally like them more. And so when you rebuild a temple mount and a temple and everything looks great, pretty cool. If you ever come to my house and go into my our office is attached kind of to the bedroom, there's just an extra area called the office. I barely use it like that, but it has books in it. <clears throat> I have a picture of, you know, the old Herod's temple and the temple mount and where things are. So if you ever want to see that, it's pretty cool looking. So the temple at the time of Jesus, which is still 400 years away, <clears throat> that temple is uh, big compared to what they're building in Nehemiah. So all of that's going on. Nehemiah is leading these returns. And Nehemiah is not like Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. Ezra came from the priestly line. Nehemiah was just a dude working in what we'd call a secular vocation. He was the cupbearer to the king. What's the cupbearer do? The cupbearer uh, drinks the wine before the king and dies first, right? Like that's kind of his job. So those jobs, think about it, pretty high trust to have somebody, to have somebody that the king, and he's trusting somebody who's Jewish with his life. That's, his, that's what he does. So Nehemiah has a specific role for the king, which is to provide for him unpoisoned wine. Be sure that no one's trying to slip the king something that's going to kill him, and then somebody else can be king, and they can start kind of an uprising. All of that's going on right now. Uh, we, in between was Esther, right? We didn't, we didn't preach on Esther, but the Esther events were happening in between what we're seeing now and then. And dating Bible books uh, is sometimes kind of difficult. When is it exactly happening and when is this going on? Uh, but many people put Esther kind of in between Ezra and Nehemiah, or I'm sorry, between Zerubbabel and Ezra, that first and second return. Okay, so Esther kind of drops in and it's a different way God is sustaining and providing for his people. So with that in mind, we go through these first few verses, 1-1 one, one through 2-8. And what we get to see here is Nehemiah's burden for Jerusalem, Nehemiah's prayer, and Nehemiah's request, which is pretty cool. So his burden starts at the beginning, and then he prays, and then he has a request. And he brings that request before the king. Often when you go through the book of Nehemiah, it has a sermon series on Nehemiah, they make it about leadership. Like it's a leadership series because Nehemiah was a pretty cool leader. He made some pretty cool decisions. And so we're going to talk both about just the, the good things that Nehemiah did principally that we can see, but also what is going on here and what is God doing, okay? We want to start with Nehemiah's burden for Jerusalem, which is the first three verses. Remember, he was saying, these are the words of Nehemiah, meaning this is the, I am the author, and you listen to him, so he's first person throughout, I, 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 I. So he's writing, he's talking about what's going on, and uh, it was in the month of Kislev, November, December, thinking the winterish, what we would call winterish, in the twentieth year, in Susa, the capital. One of his brothers came, and he said, "What's going on with Jerusalem?" So his heart, his life is in right Susa. His heart is in Jerusalem, and they said the remnant here is in uh, great trouble. And shame because there were still people in the land. There have been some returns, but they're <clears throat> going, it's not looking good. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah gets his report. The report is not good. <clears throat> and I want to think right now about what is Nehemiah doing. Nehemiah, even though he wasn't a priest, wasn't a scribe, seemed to know <clears throat> where God's heart was for his people. And so his concern aligned with God's heart. 
And that's an important thing to remember because God was concerned about his nation. He said he was going to bring his people back. He said he was going to continue to bless them. He said, like, all of these promises were still there. <clears throat> and Nehemiah enters in. <clears throat> Sorry, I was grinding concrete. I got a lot of dust in my throat <clears throat> yesterday. So I wore a mask, but it <clears throat> didn't do everything. Um, so Nehemiah goes... And he goes, what's going on with this? And this, I think, is important for us because we always are like, oh, yeah, God will give you the desires of your heart. That's sometimes a phrase that Christians will throw around. Like, God will give you the desires of your heart. I'm like, let's be sure we say this right. Yeah, like, because you may desire the wrong things. So really, what we're trying to say is that when your heart aligns with God's heart, you're on the right track. Nehemiah knew God's heart for the nation. Nehemiah knew that God had promised to send the people back. Nehemiah knew that for the nation of Israel, the condition and the status of the nation and the temple and its beauty and its grandeur all reflected on the nation's relationship with its God. Like that's kind of how that culture operated. And so if the nation is in disarray and it's all crumbling and it does not look good then what do the surrounding nations think of that nation's God not much so Nehemiah's like how's it going how's it going and it's so important for us to remember that it's not just what do we want to see happen but where is our heart aligned with God's heart an important prayer that any of us could pray at any given time is, God, make my heart align more with your concerns, with your purposes, with your desires, which comes directly from how intimately we know God, right? So the more comfortable we are with the scriptures and what God has said and how God is longing for us to live, the more, easy, more easily we can see what God would have for us and even how to pray, and where to be concerned, and where to be burdened. So he was burdened not just for the, the city of Jerusalem, but burdened because of what that reflected about God, his people, and his purposes. That was the burden. And so this is what I would say for us. It is good, and it is godly to be concerned about the spiritual condition of people and places. It is good. It is good to be burdened for people who don't know the Lord. It is good to be burdened that your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors might walk with the Lord. It is good to be burdened over how the church is doing. It is good to be burdened over these things. It is good to be burdened over God's heart for the nations and how he can bring the gospel and how we can bring the gospel forward. So when uh, Patrick, uh, many of you know Patrick Rowe, now he and his family are in Thailand. Like when they say, I think it's time for us to go preach the gospel to a place where it has not been, you go, well, yeah. yeah there are some things, there are some things, and I, and I don't mean this in like the uh, don't think about it, don't pray about it way, but there's some things where I go, it seems like God's made that pretty clear. Like, should I be generous? You don't have to pray about it. Yes. Like, like there's like, Praying about it just delays your obedience, right? Like, like there are some things you know. <clears throat> and so you go ahead and just do it. Yeah, bring it on, bro. <clears throat> Justin's got me some water. We were in D group the other day, our little discipleship group, and I said, hey, man, you know, you guys can always bring me water if you want. Like, it's okay. <clears throat> yeah, no one go near my house. It's like a war zone right now. It's gross. Living with my sister again, though, so that's great. <clears throat> 
It really is. If they ever watch the video up to this point, which they won't, unless Matt makes it the highlight. Uh, <laughs> they've been awesome. So the burden for what God is doing and the burden for where God's heart is, is good for the Christian. To know what's going on. And so you feel like, and um, what's the way I could put this? Um, I'll, use it, I'll use myself as an example. I watch on Sundays and see who's here and who's not. I'm, not. I'm not taking attendance. I'm not like, ooh, gosh, you know, bad Christian. You weren't here for like two weeks straight. But it's because it's good to be here. And if you're not here, that, it bothers me, not because I want your money um, or just want the room full, but because, because putting ourselves in an environment where the scriptures are our authority and other brothers and sisters are with us is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so, so I look and I think about it, I pray about it, and I wonder and I uh, pray through the membership list. And I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at those names. Why? Because I want, I want every member of Genesis to be walking with the Lord. I want your marriages to be strong. I want your kids to know the Lord. I want, I want you guys to grow in him. I want to see stuff you're dealing with. I want to see you find victory in those places. I do. And so I keep those things on my mind. But it's funny because if you go, hey, man, how are you doing? Or how that thing? Some people are like, oh, wait, what are you doing? Are you like policing me? I'm like, no, I'm not policing you. I want to know how you are. I'm concerned about how you are. But it's like, what do you, I mean, do you like, do you like take attendance? I don't, I could. You may not want that. You realize how infrequently you come. Yeah. We always think we come more frequently than we do once we measure it out. Like, oh, gosh. But it's all because of burdens, right? That's really what it is if you can get to the true heart of it. <clears throat> when you're burdened for things that the Lord cares about, his glory, his name, his reputation, people knowing him, when that's your burden, to inquire, to pray toward, to look for is a good thing. So we start the whole book off with a burden about a city and Nehemiah's in a place of good standing and a place of good influence. He has a pretty baller job, right? Like not a lot of, you, you, don't, you don't put this thing on Indeed.com and just get a million applications, right? You get, you, you get specific people for the position. So he has a good job, good influence, good reputation. And what's he concerned about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <clears throat> so as we get out of that, we then see Nehemiah's prayer for his people. Verses 4 to the end of the chapter. And I want you just to listen to what he does because his burden in the first three verses then moves him to prayer first, which then moves him to action. Prayer is actually action. Sometimes we don't think it is. It's like, don't pray, do something. Like, nope. Like, prayer's all right. <clears throat> sometimes we got to just spring into action, but sometimes we just got to confess some stuff. So he heard these words and he wept and he mourned for days and he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I just wonder, even just stop right there, how many of us fast and pray over things that bother us? Um, yeah, I'm not gonna, don't answer that. And so listen to how he prays. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant with, uh, in steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. I'm going to take it right there and just go, look at what he's doing. Nehemiah is confessing the nation's sins. 
And I was talking with uh, my group even this week, and I was like, I, I don't often own other people's sins as kind of like, I don't confess those to. Nehemiah's like, we've really blown it, God. We've blown it. And what I like to do is be like, you've blown it, I'm doing okay. And like, I, I, I am staying faithful. Nehemiah is staying faithful to the Lord even here, right? I mean, like, uh, so he gets a book with his name on it. Nehemiah is walking with the Lord, and yet still he's like, I've sinned, we've sinned, and that corporate kind of collective responsibility that he feels for the condition of the nation and for why they got to where they are, even though decades have passed since the exile. And that's the thing, right? So easy to go, not my problem. That's, that's, the, that's the previous generation. I'm doing fine. But if you hear his heart, you hear him corporately owning, even I and my father's house of sin, we have acted very corruptly against you, <clears throat> have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses 1,000 years ago. So God, you have said these things, you want us to walk in this way, and we have not done it. Now listen to what he says. Remember the word that you commanded your uh, servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the people. But if you return and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Now, Nehemiah is summarizing big, big chunks of what God has promised and what God has done, isn't he? You told us, follow you, right? Blessing, curses. If we follow you, blessing. If we don't follow you, curses. He's summarizing a lot of what God's heart has been for Israel, and he's going. And this is the great thing about prayer. It's just bring the scriptures. Bring the things God said back to him. Right? Like, like, how do I pray? I'm like, you just, if you get stuck praying ever, you just take the things God said, and you go, you've said, God, that this matters. You've said that this is important. And so he's going, look, you commanded Moses, if, the, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, that will happen. We're seeing it now. So, verse 10, they're your servants and your people, and you've redeemed us by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Again, that's the king. And so you hear Nehemiah's corporate confession and just recognition. And have you ever, this is, this is sometimes kind of a, a crazy Jedi mind trick that you'll start to do. If you just work with somebody and you reflect through, like we do this in steps. If you do in steps and you go through and you kind of log what's going on in your life, you step back and you go, whoa, this is way more serious than I ever thought it was. Like, I didn't realize all of the ways that disobedience here, sin here, had affected who I even am now. And when you take those moments and you kind of walk it back and you start to see, and the picture of sinfulness gets bigger, but at the same time, the picture of God's grace gets bigger, doesn't it? What God can do and what Jesus has redeemed, because all of that has been covered. And so when you just start to reflect and go, I'm not that, I'm not that good, <laughs> He's looking at the nation, he's seeing all of these things. He's like, you've said this, you've said this, you've said this. And the picture of disobedience is there. But he's like, but God, you've redeemed us. You've redeemed your people. And so, listen to my prayer. And sometimes I think, especially in our kind of flavor of evangelicalism, uh, we have this way of praying that is, 
that doesn't plead with God. Because we've kind of figured out, well, God does what he wants. It's kind of our phrase. God does what he wants. I'm like, I think Nehemiah knows God does what he wants, and he's still pretty into his prayer right here. He's like, listen to me. Please hear me. The things that I'm saying, the things that I'm asking, you said you do these things, but Lord, I am begging of you by your grace and by your mercy to do it. That's so different than sometimes how we pray or how we even encourage to pray. Because he's fasting and he's praying and he's pleading and he's asking and he's hoping and he's longing for God to do something that only God can do. And sometimes our prayers can just be so monotone, can't they? Unconcerned. We kind of know, well, if God does it, God doesn't do it. Like we have all of these ways to get out of God answering the prayer. Like, oh yeah, God, you know, you do it, do it. And so it's always funny because I'm like, I'm like I don't think there's any harm in even praying the wrong thing because God just won't do it. And then we get to kind of filter it through the book of James and the New Testament, Jesus' half-brother, where he's like, hey, if you pray and God doesn't answer, it's probably because you're asking with the wrong motives. And so then we get to reflect back. We've talked about this before. We get to reflect back and go, what am I, maybe my heart's in the wrong place. So Nehemiah 1, 1 through 3, he's going, how are, my, how are God's people and how is God's city? Not good. So his prayer is now reflected, his burden is reflected by all that he has seen uh, go on and what God has promised. So that's kind of that second part, that big burden, that big prayer. And so first, corporate ownership of sin and the request of God's favor and putting yourself in emotionally with what you want to see God do. It's something that can sometimes be so difficult for us because we have a kind of heady version of Christianity. And that's good. There are many people in this room who are much smarter than I am, and I'm grateful for that. And you endure my sermons, and I'm glad. But I think sometimes we need to realize that also God's going after our heart, right? And the things that he does should affect us. We should feel it, and it's okay to weep and it's okay to go, this, I'm broken over this. I want you to save God. Why have you not saved this person yet? What is going on? Please, because you're gracious and you're merciful and you want people to know you, please do this. Show us how. If I'm, not, if I'm missing something, if there's something in me, if there's something I'm not doing, if I'm being insensitive, God, please make it known. And so he prays. He prays big. And he prays specifically. That's what I love. Grant me favor in the sight of this man. Because he knows the person who can get Nehemiah back into the land is the king. If you ever asked for a few months off from work, it doesn't always go that well. And there's one person who can provide the supplies that are needed to do the rebuilding and to start the rebuilding of the wall. So... We go into chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was before him. Stop right there. <clears throat> if you do a little Google search, anybody can do this. When's the month of Kislev, which is in verse 1 1, and when's the month of Nisan, which is in verse 2 2, you will find that there has now been a gap of roughly four months in between the events of chapter 1 and the events of chapter 2. By not a show of hands, how many of you pray regularly for something for four months before you kind of tap out? I mean, let's be honest, most of us tap out. You, you do? All the time? Yeah. It's hard. 
it's hard to stay that concerned about something for four months. It, it, like, our hearts wander, our thoughts move about, we kind of go, oh, look, a bird. Like, 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 we start praying, and then we forget what we're praying for, and it's very hard to be laser-focused because we are, the flesh is like, no, I don't want you to pray. Like, we're going to go think about this. And then months go by, and you're like, do I even care about that thing anymore? So we don't know, but if he'd said, like, it was November or it was December, and then you read verse 2, it was March, you go, well, that was a while. That was a while of being concerned, and he hadn't had the opportunity yet continuing to pray and look for the opportunity to talk to the king but still being affected by what is going on so he's bringing wine to the king and he had not been sad in his presence cupbearer is not supposed to be sad in his presence right you want happy people around you especially when you're ruling you don't want people who are like sad and stoic or whatever like you need people who are going to be help you be in a good mood and so here's your wine, he's super sad. You ever seen somebody who's sad and you're kind of like, what? what's going on? Just how they talk, how they look. So the king says, why are you sad? You're not sick. This is sadness of the heart. He was afraid because the king could harm Nehemiah if he didn't like how Nehemiah was working. So Nehemiah says, let the king live forever, <clears throat> but listen, why shouldn't I be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. This is what's going on. This is, this is where I am right now. King said, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that little Hail Mary. It's a Hail Mary prayer, right? All right, God, here we go. And he just kind of steps in. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I spoke <clears throat> because that was the moment he had been looking for it, praying for it, longing for it. And then Artaxerxes is like, what are you asking me? What are you asking me? And isn't it interesting sometimes how we know the question behind the question, like, why are you sad? I'm sad because my city's in ruins. What do you really want? Right? That, like that, that's, that's what's going on. What are you really asking? And so I pray, and what does he do? He steps in. If it pleases the king, if your servants found favor in your sight, let me go back and rebuild it. <clears throat> how long will you take? He says, it's going to take me X amount of time to get this thing done. Also, I need letters that are going to let us kind of move and get the materials that we need to do all of that and build what we need to build, and God granted me what I asked. And here's what I love about this, <clears throat> is that sometimes we, we, we have this, like, division between prayer and planning. Like, we're like, planning's not spiritual. It's not a spiritual thing to have ideas, to have plans, to know what, to, to know what you'd like to do and when. And like, actually, I think Nehemiah teaches us that planning is fine, <clears throat> but the opportunity to talk about the plan comes from the Lord, and so when the king asked, what are, you, what are you looking for? What do you want? He was ready. This is, what, this is what I really want to do. I want to go. I need letters. I need permission from other lands to give me what they need. So if you could give me all of that, then we'll be good. What does James say again in that chapter about prayer? You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives that you can spend what you want on your pleasures He's not asking the wrong motives because we saw the first three verses, his heart was aligned with what God was doing, what God wanted. He saw the burden, he confessed the sin, he was praying for the opportunity, he was given the opportunity, and he didn't just kind of go, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I, uh, I haven't thought about that. Let me kind of get together with my friends. I was just, I was just hoping I could talk to you one day about it. <clears throat> but he actually was able, both with prayer, then when the prayer gets answered, to step in and go, here, here is what I need. And it was given because the good hand of God was on him. 
so, as we will begin to see, and as you've read through chapter 6, so you're already kind of, you know, they go back. There's opposition, of course. There's always opposition when you're trying to do the things the Lord would have for you to do. But rebuild what they can, how they can. And then next week, we're going to see the telling of the law and the reading of the law and how it affects, again, the hearts of the people. But in these first few verses, 1-1 one, one through 2-8, we get to see the burden, the prayer, and the plan, kind of all together. The burden, the prayer, and the plan. And that goes on over a span of four months. So a few things about the book of Nehemiah that I want us to hold on to as we see God's favor on this man to do God's work. First, just remember Nehemiah and his role, is that you, Genesis, you folks who are here, can make significant impact in secular places for the purpose of God. I think sometimes we're like, oh no, you know, I don't do like pastor work. I'm like, you don't want to do pastor work. Do your work. It's better, right? You can probably make more, have more fun, you know, whatever. No, I'm kidding. Um, But like God has put all of us in different places, right? And you can make significant impact by God's grace wherever you might be. If you're the cupbearer of the king or if you're like Ezra and you're a priest and a scribe that God has gifted you for his purposes and in his ways and you, in whatever vocation you have, in whatever work you do, you have access to people and places that I would never have. I have access to people and places that you would never have and God put Nehemiah in a specific place at a specific time to do a specific work. God put Esther in a specific place at a specific time to do a specific work, right? That's actually that phrase we get for such a time as this. That's that phrase we get from the book of Esther. And so don't diminish the value of the work that you do and how God can use the work that you do for his purposes because you never know how God might use that. A job is never just a job, but an opportunity to serve and make the Lord known. Second, and I do like this, <clears throat> I think we can learn from a prayer of endurance, four months, which you might go four months isn't that long, four months is a lot of time for most of us <clears throat> to pray regularly and fast regularly over something. And the Hail Mary. We see both of those prayers in these first chapters of Nehemiah. That enduring prayer, and then what do you want? All right, God, here we go. All right, give me what I need. Jesus even says, don't be worried about what you're going to say when you're brought before people, you know, because God's going to tell you what you need. So he's like, quick prayer, and he goes in. So both the habit of praying for things in an enduring fashion and the ability in a moment to go, God, use me right now in this place with this person. Both of those are things that we should employ, do as a part of our life. But it comes from, remember, 1, 1 through 3, being burdened for the right things. When you're burdened for the right things, you pay a lot of attention to it. So think about it this way. When you're burdened to make money, or you're burdened to soon retire, or whatever it might be, what do you start watching? Your bank account, your stocks, retirement account. You start watching those things day by day by day by day to see how it's going. There are plenty of things 
that everyone in this room checks up on all the time. It might be somebody's blog, it might be somebody's whatever, it might be the news, it might be, I don't know what channel you watch, but God's grace be on you regardless. Um, It might be finances, it might be your kids' sports teams, it might be whatever. There are things that you are concerned about that get lots and lots of your time and attention, and it trains you. You may not think that it trains you, but it trains you to operate in a certain way. But when you discipline yourself to engage the scriptures, which is why we're even doing a reading plan, right? Like, like it's why we're going through it and why we're hearing about it. When you discipline yourself to engage with God's revealed heart and revealed plans and you keep after it and you discuss it and you pray over it and you talk about it and you hold yourself accountable to it, what starts to happen, right? The needle of your heart moves, And you start caring about other things and not caring about other things, and that's all good. It's God's grace toward us as we continue to grow in him. And so we pray for different things, and we look for different things, and we long for different things, and that's all good. So I would just ask you right now, what are the things that consume your mind and your heart that get day after day after day things of your attention that then train you to think and behave and act and even speak in different ways. And here's one way, uh, if you're on Twitter or you're on Facebook, just see what the curated ads tell you to do. Or the, like, if you go on Twitter, you go to Twitter moments, and it just kind of by what you click on will tell you, hey, here are some things we think that based on your preferences, what you would like. You know what mine are all about? Sports. Russell Westbrook's on the Rockets. You know, this is this, this, like, everything's like, everything is sports related. Who, what free agent's going where, who's signing what, when, how, whatever. That's all it is. I'm like, huh, I think it knows what I care about more than I should. And so there are times when you can even kind of look back and go, I must be thinking about this a lot because marketers are paying a lot of money to show me the same thing over and over and over again. Enduring prayers and brief prayers, if we are aligned with God's purposes and God's heart, then it becomes like breathing for us to pray for ongoing things and when God provides moments for quick things. All going back to the burden for him. And then finally, boldness at the right opportunity. This is sometimes the place that, that we might cower But he's been praying for four months for an opportunity to speak to the king about what's going on. And the opportunity comes. Have you ever had that moment? You ever had that moment where something happens? You're like, And then sometimes it's like you want to think about doing anything other than talking to that person right now. Like, I've never before wanted to vacuum, but right now, I got a lot of vacuuming to do. Whatever it might be, that moment shows up, I don't want that. God, give me an opportunity to talk to somebody about you. Here it is. So, uh, the weather is nice and um, I got to go. Boldness at the opportunity that God provides is something, it's probably a muscle that we need to develop. And I'll say why. It's because we stand firm on God's word So a heart aligned with God's promises prays for God's things. And when opportunities for God's glory to be made known through those things show up, 
we can just kind of step back and go, there's going to be nothing more solid. Watch this cave in as I do that. <clears throat> there's going to be nothing more solid to stand on. Like we have the best backstop in the world. We just kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to talk to you about the things God has said. And then we can get mad at him. You don't have to get mad at me. Just get mad at God if you don't like it. But we have such confidence to be placed. Even these past 28 Sundays or 29 Sundays where we have just been going, see what God said, see what God did, see what God said, see what God did, see what God said, see what God did. That's essentially going to be the next 30 more sermons. And every other sermon ever preached at Genesis. Look at what God said, look at what God did. Like, we can trust him. We just say it different ways so that you think you're getting a different sermon. And so, when we see that time and time again, doesn't it train us? It should train us. Using, to use a sporting analogy, right? When certain closers like, go up on the mound of baseball, you're like, oh, this is a lock. Right? It's been a while since I've used an LSU reference. I don't see James Hall here. He, he counts those when I do that. So um, there was a time, and it probably still exists, where I would watch an LSU football game. And it didn't matter by how many points LSU was up in the fourth quarter. I was still like, this game's over. LSU's lost. It doesn't matter. They could be up by 400 in the fourth quarter. And they just have a way of losing the games in the fourth quarter. I just, it's just how I felt. So I was just used to going, this is all over. No confidence. But whereas whenever LSU plays Nick Saban, I'm like, Nick Saban's going to crush us. It's always how I feel. He just beats everybody basically all the time. And when he loses, you just go, he must have been sick. We have certain ways of being confident about things even of this world. Certain people, certain places, certain things, and their level of trust. And yet we often don't even demonstrate that level of confidence in the God of the world. Who created everything. We don't talk about it confidently. We're like, well, I don't know. what. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I can trust God. I'm like, listen, there's nothing and no one better to trust than the Lord and his word. Nothing. You will be let down in other ways. And I've said this before, and I'll say it a lot. Patrick has said it. We will let you down. The elders will let you down. This church will let you down. We will do something to hurt you, harm you, bother you, frustrate you, concern you. We have probably done that a million times already and it will only continue because we're not the Lord. We're imperfectly living out the things that he says in his word. But we do know he can be trusted. And so we have confidence in that, that the burdened heart prays for God's purposes and then when opportunities to display and speak of the Lord come up, we pray those things and he does it. That he might fill us with burdens and boldness for his purposes and not our own.